Let us pray. Dear Lord God, as I stand here ready to proclaim your word, I am aware that your word has been at work in me and in us and will now go out from this pulpit. Shine the light of your word into every heart and hear of your word. Deliver to us today from the darkness of sin, death, and the power of the deceiver. Silence, O oh God, all of the fears, the doubts, and the worry hiding in us. Heal us in faith by the power of your Holy Spirit to trust in the power of your word alone to save. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the more exciting things that we have as Christians who are living on this side of the cross is to go back into the Gospels and observe our Lord. Through Mark's Gospel witness, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we get this beautiful look at what it means for the Word to be made flesh and walk among us to have the very incarnation of God, fresh off of his baptismal promise, filled with the Holy Spirit and unleashed on his mission for all whom he encounters, and for you and for me. It all happens quite quickly in the book of the Gospel of Mark. As you remember, Jesus is prophesied as coming by John the Baptist, John then baptizes Jesus. Then Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Uh, just two weeks ago, Jesus calls his first four disciples by the Sea of Galilee and has now, in our gospel today, walked into this larger city of Capernaum. And as we would expect Jesus shows perfect trust in the third commandment. Jesus knows that to remember the Sabbath day is his Father's gift for all of his created people to come and hear his Son, the very Word of God. And so Jesus now starts teaching. The Jews who were in the synagogue were also observing the Sabbath commandment, so that they could hear expectantly from the law of Moses, the readings of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And it also sounds like in the text they were experiencing much of what rural South Dakota is challenged with today in finding a preacher. It's hard to get a full-fledged teacher out that far from Sioux Falls or from Jerusalem. It appears they weren't getting a rabbi out there in Capernaum, so they were most likely hearing the Torah read by scribes on the Sabbath. And now, in steps Jesus and his four newly called disciples, and he begins to teach. We aren't given the text that Jesus was preaching on, 
or if he was expounding on all of Scripture, but clearly the Jews there on the Sabbath had not heard this type of teaching. And this is where it all starts getting fun. It says the people were amazed, which does not give us the clearest meaning of the Greek word ekpleso. We must add to it the meaning of utterly amazed, dumbfounded, stricken with panic, or in our common vernacular, having their minds blown. This gives us a more dynamic picture of just how Jesus' words landed upon his hearers. Jesus wasn't just teaching. Jesus was preaching the word, his word, the very word of Scripture in the flesh to the people. Teachers are those who speak and instruct based on another authority. In Jesus' case, he is the authority. All of Scripture testifies. The very word open that day is Christ. Well, then we ask, what, what was he saying? What was he teaching? And earlier in Mark 15, we get his first sermon. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. I'm sure it was much like this. For Jesus was preaching the law and the gospel. The totally astounded, mind-blown Jews were hearing from Jesus that the law cannot save them. They were hearing that they might know the law of Moses, but because of this age-old curse, the law cannot make them holy. They are stuck in sin and they need saving. Imagine hearing for the first time that the law that you were trusting in and you were being taught to will not save you, will not make you holy. As the Apostle Paul says, the law only increases sin, reveals the sin nature within. That would leave any self-righteous Jew or anyone in this church today who is hearing this for the first time mouths agape in astonishment. We get the shock of the law when we hear Martin Luther say that your good works are most likely your sin. In other words, what you think are good works for God is just pointing out how prideful you are, that once we believe, once we are doing a good work for God, we are guilty of pride and a lack of humility. Once you notice that it's a good work, now you've ruined it. It's no longer a good work. This is mind-blowing. It was for me. <laughs> I mean, after all, I thought, a uh, good Lutheran boy, my dad made sure I learned the catechism. He was going to make an example out of his son anyway. If anybody else didn't in the confirmation class, I was going to learn it. I had it. I went to a good Christian school, Augustana. I was in the choir proclaiming in song. Uh, I was in the... Uh, outreach groups that went out. I got into youth ministry after that, trying to help kids. 
hear the gospel, hear the good news. Um, all my life, working, uh, in being a part of the church, and to hear that it did not advance me one step closer was hard news. What? What am I doing this for? <laughs> well, you can't earn what Christ has already given you through grace, can you? That's the heart of it. Imagine the people hearing this in the synagogue. But now, with mouths agape, Jesus tells them even something more profound. Salvation is a gift from a forgiving God who does not dwell in the temple off in Jerusalem, but in his, through his word of forgiveness seeks to tabernacle with us is a templing with us, is dwelling within, unheard of, impossible. This is mind-blowing for them. Once a relationship, not based totally on fear, but fear and love. And now the people in the synagogue witness the power and authority of God through his word. The unclean spirits who have remained hidden in the dark are now in fear as the light of Jesus shines through his word. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons, the servants of the murderous, evil deceiver Satan are struck in fear, fear of their own death. These spirit beings are only ones who, they're the only ones who really know who Jesus is, which is an interesting comment on this spirit world that Christ ushers in with the Holy Spirit, but they do not trust Jesus. They don't have his word. They respond in fear. And now in Mark, as post-resurrection people, the power of Jesus' command is shown. We see what Jesus was sent to do, to bind up the powers of hell, of lies and of deceit and fear by shutting them up, shutting them up and delivering salvation through his word of promise. The wonderful thing is that this word is still at work in his church today. We got to see God claim back one of his own through this promise of baptism. Through the power of Jesus' word to silence the lie and rescue his own, we have witnessed the authority of Jesus today. Through the power of his word, we hear that we are sinners who are humbled and are repented and who are then rescued by promise, by the power of his word to make new, reborn. Through the power of his word, I pray that you've heard in our confession and forgiveness and in this sermon that by proclaiming Christ's promise, your sin of pride and self-righteousness has been silenced 
by the law, yes, first, and now made holy by Christ's word of forgiveness. And in communion, we will hear again that what Jesus has done for us through the cross, claiming us, forgiving us, sending us out with power, the power of his word through the gift of the Holy Spirit, making us light to shine Christ's word of truth, sending us out, making us light to shine Christ's word of truth into the dark corners of where? Our lives. Where fear and worry are hiding in our homes, our families, our community, and our world. Praise be to Jesus Christ, who silences our fears, doubts, and worry by the authority of his word. This is most certainly true. Amen.